Hey everybody, it is Tuesday, February 11th, 2020, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brett Eslake, and while we normally cover car news, car culture, and car whatever, today is going to be another quick scrap story as, well, I gotta head off to work here in a little bit, and I wanted to get at least a short episode out early this week. Uh, we'll just kind of dive right into things that I wanted to talk about, and the first thing that, uh, came across my desk, well, I guess it was yesterday, and I really shouldn't say desk, just the iPad while I was laying in bed, uh, was a story about Volvo and Gili. Uh, they want to tie themselves up a little bit closer and form, uh, an actual, uh, alliance partnership automotive brand. Um, a lot of people know that Geely does own Volvo. Uh, they purchased Volvo from Ford. Uh, when was that? Five, six? Feels like forever ago. It was a while back. Uh, basically, uh, Ford had mismanaged Volvo to the point where, uh, among other luxury brands, they all needed to be dissolved and pushed out of their portfolio. Um, I believe... For a very short time, Volvo was almost independent, um, and there was a lot of worry that Volvo would basically implode without the leadership of a large automotive firm. Of course, that wasn't necessarily the case. Volvo had been independent before Ford had even purchased them uh, in the late 90s, and, uh, you know, Volvo had a pretty big war chest of financial uh, sources to continue the fight with or without the support of uh, Ford Motor Company. When Geely came in, uh, they infused really leadership. That was about it. They said, you know, we're going to support you doing what you're going to do. And there was a story uh, a couple days ago about how basically everything that Volvo did to turn themselves around after Ford uh, had dropped them uh, was paid for by Volvo. Geely didn't spend any money on the thing. They were able to do everything in-house. And it was only after the fact that they started getting support from Geely and other things that... uh, well, Volvo has rocketed to the position that it is in today. So getting back to the story, basically what Geely wants to do, and Volvo as well, is form a company similar, think of like how GM operates. GM is a company that uh, oversees the operation of many different brands. Uh, so in the case of Geely and Volvo, uh, you would have the two big car companies. Uh, Geely would be the biggest one out of that, obviously. Uh, Volvo uh, would be probably number two. There would be Proton, Lotus, Lincoln Co., uh, a few others that I think that I'm missing from the Chinese market. Uh, but generally, they're doing this to uh, solve cost development issues, uh, make sure that, you know, the, the rollout of new technology, new automotive bits of engineering is steady across the board. You know, so Volvo is spending a ton of money developing a new four-cylinder engine uh, and Geely wants to get the most out of it. That means that you're going to see that same four-cylinder engine in a Lincoln Co. car. Maybe it's going to show up in the new Lotus, whatever. Maybe it's going to be used in a new uh, Geely over in China. Uh, it, it's really just going to try to solve a lot of uh, cost issues that the company's currently facing, uh, just because everything's run pretty much independently. Uh, so there's no absolute definite chance that this is going to happen, but it seems fairly likely just to save on some overall costs, make the company a little bit more prestigious. And I think, me personally, it's going to open up the possibility to more of the Chinese brands being able to be sold here in the United States. 
Wow, still sick. Hey, everybody. Uh, another story that popped up yesterday that I thought was particularly interesting uh, was about Jeep, and specifically the Gladiator pickup truck. Uh, Jeep has not had a particularly strong uh, launch with the Gladiator since it came out this past I guess it was late summer, early fall, that kind of weird tipping point area where the weather starts to cool down, but it's still uh, light pretty late in the evening. Uh, the Gladiator, if you haven't seen it, it's basically a, a Jeep Wrangler with a pickup truck bed. Uh, it's nothing super crazy to write home about, but what has been interesting is the number of Gladiators that have rolled out to dealerships that are fully loaded to the gills, Rubicons, uh, Sahara editions, you know, all these things. You know, a lot of people have been talking about how you've been hard, they've been hard pressed to find gladiators at Jeep dealers for anything less than forty, forty two, forty five thousand dollars. Uh, a lot of places, you know, were doing sticker markups because they thought that the demand was going to be so high on the Gladiator and people were turned away. And as such, they went to Toyota to continue buying Tacomas or to Ford to get the new Ranger. Uh, and in the end, sales of the Gladiator ended up being only around 60,000 units uh, through the end of 2019 into early 2020. Uh, to kind of put that into perspective, uh, Toyota sold 240 50,000 Tacomas, the better part of that. I think it was a little bit under that uh, last year. Uh, you're one-fifth the sales of the big sales leader. I think even like the Ford Ranger, which wasn't even on sale all year last year, still sold the better part of 90,000 units. Uh, you know, 30,000 units extra isn't nothing, uh, but it kind of puts into perspective that the Ranger, even not even being a sales champion, still was significantly more. I think like a Colorado and a Canyon together are uh, close to 300,000 units, I think, somewhere around there. It's a little, it's about the same volume as the Tacoma between the Canyon and the Colorado. They don't combine the sales figures for the two of them for whatever reason. Uh, but <clears throat> it, it, it it's an issue because this once again kind of demonstrates things that I've talked about with FCA uh, that is a huge problem for the whole company. Uh, basically, FCA builds these Jeeps out in Toledo uh, using a computer-generated algorithm that determines, you know, what colors, what trim, what packages, whatever that they need to have, and they just ship them to dealers, whether the dealers want them or not. There's not really any... Uh, there's no human, I guess, interaction to being like, hey, I need a Jeep uh, Gladiator Sport S with the hard top, uh, the after the the up level wheels, uh, locking differentials, and the trailer tow package, and like th that's not really happening. And the truth of the matter is, I think most people who want a Gladiator probably don't want to spend more than forty thousand dollars on it. And when I when I throw that forty thousand dollar number out. The key point there is that at forty grand, you're getting a pretty well-equipped equi Gladiator. It's not a top-trim model, but a very well-equipped one that competes very strongly with, you know, a, a very well-equipped Colorado, Ranger, Tacoma, any of those ones. Uh, but it's still, you know, several grand short of a Ram 1500, a Silverado, so on and so forth. And, you know, it's, it's that range where you want to play. And with every Gladiator shipping to dealers for 50 grand or more, uh, that's going to be a little concerning. Another thing that gets kind of weird in this is 
if they're not selling particularly well, that means that incentives are going to start getting pumped out on these. And when you start dumping tons and tons of incentives on these, uh, is what's a good way to put this? You're still not really getting the Jeep that you need or want. Uh, you're just getting a cheaper version of a luxury thing that may or not have the same resale value in two or three years that a, well, more normal one would have had. Uh, I, I get, I guess, a little concerned about long-term resale value on the Gladiator now at this point because if demand is actually that low, uh, you're not going to have that legendary Jeep uh, resale value, and that that's definitely going to be a little concerning. Uh, for example, uh, <coughs> excuse me, one, one thing that kind of comes to mind here is... Uh, sorry, uh, as I gather my thoughts, uh, back when the Gladiator first launched, I, I want to say it was like September-ish, uh, there was a story about how if you put like three grand down on a Gladiator Sport S with, you know, some pretty basic options on it, your lease for a 36,000 mile lease, uh, three year 36,000 mile lease was like $149. Uh, Jeep, I think, really expected to have a pretty big sales run on these. And I think they really expected to have these resale values hold really, really well. And now I go, all of that is out the window. We have no idea what this thing is going to be like in a couple of years. But, you know, it's it's a big mess. And, you know, the point that I made on Twitter yesterday that I think grabbed some people's attention was that, you know, for years, years and years, people on the Internet were screaming screaming about how much they wanted a brand new Jeep uh, Wrangler with a pickup truck bed. There had been that concept truck from, it feels like a decade ago at this point. It was green. That's all I can really remember off the top of my head. I think they, it was at the Detroit show and then they did another version at the uh, Jeep Easter Jamboree. Uh, basically like, you know, they kept teasing people and then Jeep unofficially sold like a body kit thing where you could convert a two box Wrangler uh, to be a pickup truck thing. It was really weird. Uh, but, you know, I think there were a lot of very loud people on the internet, a very loud, a lot of loud people writing letters, a lot of loud people at these Jeep jamborees, a lot of loud people at these car shows who were like, yeah, I'm going to buy a pickup truck Jeep. I'm going to buy a pickup truck Jeep. And then the actual thing shows up and nobody buys it. And it, it, it sucks. You know, it's something that every car maker deals with. It's something that every, every, uh, segment of car buyer, uh, I think, thinks that they want, and when the product actually arrives, it's not quite what they expected, and I think this Jeep has just really suffered from that. I think, personally, for me, you know, the, the Jeep Gladiator is fine, uh, but there's just too many compromises that you make compared to other uh, medium-sized pickup trucks, namely uh, the lack of a roof. You know, I want a, a pickup truck that's going to be warm uh, all the time, no matter what, uh, in the wintertime. I don't want to have to deal with snow built up on the roof. I don't want to have to deal with a lot of excess wind noise. I, I just don't want to deal with that stuff. Just the same, the rear seats are you know, basically vertical, you know, they're not particularly comfortable, uh, there's not that much space in the bed, it's just, there's, yeah, okay, you can fold down the front window, you can take the roof off, you know, that's really cool, I guess, if you're into that, but in the end, you know, I'd rather just buy a Ranger or a Colorado or spend a couple grand more and just get a Ram 1500, and it's, it's gonna be, 
it's going to be a weird thing. And it's going to be weird, too, when the new RAM comes out that's supposed to be on the Gladiator chassis uh, to see how they spec that and whether or not that will out end up outselling the Gladiator. Because I think in the end, what FCA is going to do is position the Gladiator as the top trim, medium-sized pickup truck within the company. They're going to give it the better engines. You're going to give it the better transmissions. Uh, I, I think inevitably at some point they're going to put the diesel in this pickup truck uh, and that'll draw some attention, but it's going to be the lowly Ram version that's going to get, you know, the two liter turbo. They're going to make it seem a little less than in air quotes. And in the end, you know, maybe the Gladiator sales will be protected. Maybe it won't. But, you know, I think it's going to be hard pressed to get too far beyond 60,000 in sales in 2020, especially when FCA is saying that sales are going to be down for the company across the board. Well, in other interesting news that's kind of floating around today, uh, Mercedes-Benz, they are cutting, uh, I think it was 15,000 jobs over in Europe uh, as they attempt to restructure costs for the company. Uh, they are saying it is going to be austerity, austerity, austerity uh, for Daimler-Benz on the whole. Uh, more or less, uh, and this is the case for a lot of car companies, is that profits are way, way down, if not have turned into losses, and the only way to control that are cost savings. Uh, in many places, you know, this is going to be losing labor to uh, automated manufacturing. This is going to be restructuring manufacturing uh, to, you know, single platforms that develop into multiple vehicles so that they could build three or four or five, six different cars in one plant instead of having, you know, four different plants building, you know, four or five different cars. Uh, this is going to be, I think, generally in the case going forward in a lot of ways. Uh, Mercedes-Benz has talked about how, you know, the EV revolution is coming and that's going to also affect a lot of jobs within their industry as well. Uh, <coughs> it's, it, it's pretty sad, definitely. Uh, the good news is, is that in Germany, you know, these people are going to be taken care of pretty well. Um, also, they have a government that has swings and axe and a hammer that, uh, you know, if Mercedes-Benz is taking this too far, BMW, Audi, whoever else joins the fray, uh, I think you could expect some government intervention to prevent some of this as well, uh, which should be interesting to watch. But uh, where this, I think, kind of gets interesting, at least, where Mercedes is making, you know, tens of thousands of cuts in terms of jobs, they're, you know, making a lot of other cuts and spending elsewhere in the company, uh, but they're still going to operate a Formula One team. Uh, Formula One is known to be one of the most expensive sports to have anywhere in the world. Uh, these companies spend, <coughs> excuse me, hundreds of millions of dollars a year uh, operating these teams. Mercedes having dominated the turbo hybrid area or era that began in 2014 uh, has definitely spent uh, over, well over a billion dollars, uh, probably several billions of dollars uh, developing this Formula One team to be uh, the dominating force that it is. And with the announcement uh, the other day, I think it was actually technically Monday, uh, that they are committed to Formula One in 2020 and beyond, uh, you know, it, it certainly ask the question, could these hundreds of millions of dollars in money for Formula One have been spent otherwise to save people's jobs? The answer is more than likely yes, but the other thing is that the hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people who work around the Formula One team and car and development stuff, uh, those would have been lost as well. So it's, 
it's maddening to some extent. It's also interesting to some extent, especially when the stories had been floating around for quite some time, uh, that Mercedes-Benz might be dropping out of Formula One. Uh, I'm not particularly shocked that they're staying committed. I mean, like I said, they've been uh, a dominant force in the sport for the last what, five seasons? So, you know, sit almost uh, more likely going to be six after this one. Uh, they, they don't really have any reason not to stay in the sport uh, because I think they have been able to successfully attach some of the performance stuff from the Formula One cars to their actual street cars. And that is something that, you know, not every car maker can say. And uh, I, I think Mercedes staying committed is a big thing. Also, you know, it kind of puts a price tag on, you know, how big that team probably would have been to sell to somebody like Roger Penske, who was apparently uh, talking about buying the team at one point. Uh, the hundreds of millions of dollars that would have been involved with doing that uh, probably would have been relatively insurmountable for somebody like him. Ah, yeah. Oh, let's see. Anything else uh, of mine that kind of comes up? Uh, the only other thing I can think of is uh, we've got some uh, videos and posts about the all-wheel drive Toyota Camry and Toyota Avalon coming out. Uh, TFL Card posted some videos yesterday about it. I believe some of the websites out there have posts as well. What can they really say? Not all that much, at least at the moment, uh, but they did kind of explain the technology uh, that they put in these cars. It sounds like uh, because <clears throat> these cars share an architecture with other vehicles that do deploy an all-wheel drive system, uh, they were basically able to kickstart this whole process in a pretty short window. Um, Toyota had been hearing from customers for quite some time, especially in uh, northern and coastal states, that uh, all-wheel drive would be really nice to have. Uh, they would buy an all-wheel drive Camry or Avalon uh, instead of getting a larger SUV because they do prefer cars. And Toyota believes that this is a way to keep people in cars instead of opting up to you know, a Highlander, uh, a Forerunner, a RAV4, whatever. And uh, these cars are using mechanical four-wheel drive systems, which I found interesting. I had assumed that they would have had an E all-wheel drive feature, but uh, these are uh, actual drive shafts uh, kicking off the engine uh, all the way down the length of the car to a rear differential. Uh, these cars do support a uh, decoupling feature, similar to what Jeep has been using for some time, where the rear axle can be disconnected electronically, uh, basically eliminating drag on the system, uh, increasing fuel economy. Uh, Toyota is saying that this car is split 50-50 no matter what, from 0 to, I think it's 15 miles an hour, and then up to... Certain speeds, higher than what the Prius is, it sounds like. The Prius, I think, can engage four-wheel drive up to, like, 45 miles an hour. It sounds like this Toyota can go, uh, or the Camry can go a little bit higher. Uh, can split torque as well uh, on the rear axle, uh, which is pretty interesting. It should make for an interesting uh, carving car. Uh, one of the other things they talked about, at least with uh, the fast lane car, was that... Uh, they chose to do the four-cylinder instead of the V6 uh, strictly based on volume, not on performance. Uh, they did think about what it would take to do a V6. It would have been fairly easy, but the problem was is that the V6 uh, represents, like I think it's 6%, 6 or 10% of their total Camry sales for the entire year. And when you're selling, you know, 300, 400,000 cars, you know, doing 6% of that is, you know, teeny tiny little bits of things and that when you think of like all the v6 camry sales 
you take that and then you make a percentage of that all-wheel drive, that's still an even smaller percentage. And in the end, you know, you're spending all this time, money to, to develop it, and they're going to sell it to almost no one. Versus a four-cylinder Camry, where those are a little more ubiquitous. Uh, the four-cylinder still makes over 200 horsepower. Uh, it ticks a lot of people's boxes in terms of fuel economy and performance. Uh, in the end, you know, <coughs> excuse me, if you're looking for an all-wheel drive uh, family sedan, the Camry's going to have it in a way that other car makers aren't going to simply because, you know, while you've got the dependability, you've got the reliability of a Toyota platform in engineering, uh, you've got uh, the fuel economy, the performance of their four-cylinder, I think it's a 2.5 liter engine in the Camry right now, uh, you've got that eight-speed automatic that's quite good. Uh, in the end, you know, you're looking at something that's going to be an easy sell, uh, especially in places like Michigan, for example. Uh, I don't see any reason why you would buy a front-wheel drive Camry uh, at this point, and I have a feeling that once this all-wheel drive Camry goes on sale later this year, uh, I would expect probably 60 to 80% of all the Camrys that are going to be uh, for sale on dealer lots will probably be an all-wheel drive model. It just seems to be the way things are going to go. Toyota isn't really committing on price or fuel economy right now, uh, but the guy that they were talking to on camera said that you should probably expect about $1,500, maybe a little bit more price premium over a standard Camry, uh, which means, you know, probably a mid-trim LE model uh, with that is probably going to stay well under $30,000 if you keep light on the other options. And that, my friends, sounds like a spectacular deal. And the other good news is it's not a Subaru. Nothing against Subaru. They make great cars. They drive really well. They're wonderful, but pretty much all the rest of my family has one. I don't want one. I'm done with Subaru. It's it. It's over. Uh, let me take a Toyota Camry all-wheel drive instead of that, uh, and I think I would be pretty happy. But anyway, guys, uh, we've gone just past the 20-minute mark. Uh, that is kind of some of the stories I want to talk about, at least for today, Tuesday, February 11th, 2020. Uh, if we get some bigger announcements uh, this week, we'll do another episode. We do need to do a full deep dive episode as well. But uh, in the meantime, guys, uh, if you want to follow along with me on Twitter, I'm at twitter.com slash YSSMAN. And you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash salvage title. Uh, these are posted for free on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So make sure you smash that subscribe button, uh, share it if you find something interesting that uh, other people need to hear. And uh, if you're on a platform that asks for ratings, uh, if you could give us a rating, that is greatly appreciated because it does get us seen by other people. Anyway, guys, uh, I got to get ready for work. Uh, we got to go for a little walk to the movie theater. So all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a great rest of your Tuesday, and we will see you hopefully later this week on the Salvage Title Podcast. See you then.